0: You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I interview Trout Unlimited president and CEO, Chris Wood, and we talk about the amazing work that Trout Unlimited is doing, um, how they are the leading organization fighting to protect the Clean Water Act, uh, Pebble Mine, and also the removal of four lower Snake River dams but also how Trout Unlimited is spreading hope on the climate change front. Hope you enjoy. This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Olokai. Olokai is all about handcrafted footwear, finding inspiration in Hawaiian culture and craftsmanship. Fishing is at the heart of Hawaiian culture today, just as it has been for centuries. Generations of fishermen and women expertly cast from rocky shorelines. They spearfish, throw net, and navigate their boats into the deep blue in search of the next catch. No matter how they do it, there's an attention to detail and respect for the ocean that guides their passion. At Olakai, they believe in the same attention to detail when crafting the highest quality shoes and sandals built for every type of marine environment. Olokai's water-friendly Nohea Moku slip-on shoe features razor siping for extra grip on the deck and it's designed for easy on-off barefoot wear. And when it comes to sandals that perform, Olokai's new Ulele provides the comfort and durability of a sneaker. Personally, I love the grip of the Nohea Moku's which are perfect uh, for a day out on the water and i also love that olokai is a b core meaning they meet the highest social and environmental standards as a company whether you're loading up the boat or shoreline fishing from the rocks olokai takes you further find your local retailer at olokai.com you know i'm sure anyone listening to this knows and Unlimited, I mean, it's synonymous with, with fly fishing and conservation, but in some off chance that someone doesn't know what y'all do, I'll let you take that away um, and, and, and run with uh, that.
1: Yeah, well, so we're uh, a membership organization of about 300,000 members and supporters, uh, all of whom are uh, dedicated to a common mission, which is to protect and restore trout and salmon and the watersheds they depend on. Um, And the way we accomplish that work is uh, through uh, the the volunteer efforts of about 400 chapters that are spread all around the country. Each chapter donates an average of about 1,800 hours of community service to the places they live, love, and fish. And then we have a professional staff of about 250 uh, strong who uh, work all over the country uh, Renitting and repairing and protecting uh, the rivers and streams that people love to fish.
0: Awesome, um, and 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 one of the things that that I started thinking about and and preparing for for this interview with y'all because I mean I, I know that y'all do, Trout Unlimited is unique in that it's not just um, a, a member organization that's dedicated to conservation y'all are also actively working on uh, the policy front, but also um, doing things that are related to actual boots on the ground, get your hands dirty, volunteer restoration work so you all sort of sort of run the run the gamut and one of the things that that came to mind in in preparing for this was you know one of the one of the ways that I try and simplify i guess environmental Threats to to fisheries is um, what it's really what I call the three P's, which are uh, policy, uh, population, and pollution. So you're talking about well, how does population uh, affect our fisheries? Well, things like overfishing, right? Um, Worldwide population is growing. We we might overfish some areas and and deplete fish stocks. So how does how does policy affect our, our fisheries. And that can be done in a number of ways, but things such as uh, uh, climate change policy or Magnuson Stevens or, or uh, the clean water rule. So a, a number of ways that the policy can impact our fisheries. And then pollution, which is, you know, an obvious thing is, is plastic pollution that, that negatively affects our fisheries. But I think one of the the greatest threat to our fisheries is, is climate change, especially with cold water species and that's pollution in the form of, of greenhouse gas emissions. And so I thought I would would maybe format this a little bit on, on this call and maybe we dissect uh, each of those threats and what Trout Unlimited is doing to, to address them. Um, so why don't we start with um, how, how is how is population, I guess would you say um, affecting cold water species?
1: well I mean you you hit on it earlier. Uh, you know one of the challenges we have is that as some of these smaller isolated um, populations of fish become discovered and advertised on social media, for example, um, you know some of them are susceptible to being fished out. Uh, we're in this really interesting place as a nation. Um, historically, there were 28 different native species of trout in America. We've lost uh, three. Three have become extinct uh, over time. And of those that remain, uh, more than half occupy less than 25% of their historic habitat. And so when you, when you think about like Rio Grande cutthroat trout or uh, Apache trout or Gila trout, these populations are no longer occupying the the smaller tributaries upstream, and then the mid-elevation streams, and then the larger uh, rivers downstream. Generally, they're often isolated in these higher uh, higher elevation areas. Uh, often, not always, but often on public lands, and they're very susceptible to um, you know to potentially being fished out. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we do is work to create what biologists call meta-populations, and that's where you're taking these relic, isolated uh, trout populations that are found in high-elevation streams, and doing the work to reconnect them, those streams down to lower-elevation areas, uh, by everything from, you know, fixing perch culverts and replacing them with bridges. Uh, to getting rid of unneeded or obsolete dams, to changing Western water law, for example, to make it uh, more amenable to conservation, to leaving water and stream for fish, um, and then doing uh, restoration in the valley bottoms where the larger rivers are. And if you, can, uh, if you can allow fish to access these different parts of the watershed and exhibit their various uh, life history forms, you know, where they're in the small tributaries at one point in the season and they move down to the larger water bodies uh, to feed and get big and then you know, move back up to the tributaries to, to spawn, you're much more likely to be able to uh, maintain healthy populations uh, of trout and salmon. And uh, it also is a guard against climate change, which is another issue that you mentioned that notion of protecting the highest quality habitats, reconnecting river systems, and allowing fish to move through reconnected systems uh, and and access lower elevation areas because you've done restoration on them. That happens to be the most effective climate change adaptation strategy that's out there. And what I mean by climate change adaptation is simply uh, helping these rivers and streams uh, to recover their natural resiliency so they're better able to withstand the effects of flood and fire and drought
0: that's uh, and 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 so that is part of trout unlimited strategy I, and and I don't know if it's necessarily strategy but part of of what y'all do in terms of a lot of actual. Boots on the ground type restoration work. I mean, that, and that and that that's something that I think a lot of people maybe don't connect the dots between. Okay, well, what are some natural climate solutions? And a lot of that is restoration type work, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going, well, you know, look, if we if we can plant more trees along the banks of a river, um, that will they'll not only absorb CO2, but they'll also provide shade. For fish that are making that migration from from other bodies of water back and up into tributaries uh, along the way, is that is that sort of kind of the idea with with some of that? Yeah,
1: that's that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's just basically putting back together uh, healthy, intact watersheds, and and I I mean the entire watershed. You know, we've we've gone as an organization, we've gone through this evolution where in the seventies and the eighties. You know, we were working on, on individual stream reaches, right? Like local chapters working on a, a local stream. And, and then in the 90s, it was sort of the advent of that whole concept of the watershed approach. And we began working at scale on larger water bodies, you know, fixing the problems that began up in the headwaters and then working our way downstream. Now we're actually working at regional landscapes. And, and, and it's the boots on the ground component that you mentioned that's just absolutely vital here uh there are places like the driftless area of it's the unglaciated unglaciated region of Wisconsin uh Minnesota Iowa and Illinois and what happened is when the gla- the last glaciers receded they just bypassed this area so it, it it it's not typical uh of of midwest landscapes it's got more hills and it's almost reminiscent of vermont and uh you know, there was 150 years of intensive agriculture there that had, you know, really just really destroyed um, a lot of those uh, rivers and streams. And so uh, we've now begun working in that landscape. It's a huge landscape. And we're doing about 100 miles of stream restoration a year where we, uh, you know, we these deeply incised channels deeply that have been downcut by flooding, you know, will go ahead and peel those stream channels back, uh, put the natural sinuosity of the river back in place you know, by using heavy equipment so they get the bends and the meanders back in the river, um, and then revegetate uh, with you know, native shortgrass prairie. And uh, the trout response is downright phenomenal. We now do about 100 miles. Uh, I'm sorry, we've done over 100 miles, probably 125 miles. We do about 20 a year now. Of stream restoration in the Driftless area, and the the trout response is phenomenal. Uh, we see pre-restoration like a hundred to two hundred trout per mile, and wow. a year after restoration, a year after restoration, that number grows tenfold. It goes from a hundred to a thousand, from two hundred to two thousand fish per mile. And if you can do that kind of restoration at scale, which is what we're doing in the Driftless Area and other parts of the country, then you can actually get ahead of the effects of a changing climate. And that's the work that we need to do all around the country.
0: That's amazing, and I mean, and and those numbers are just that, that's incredible. I mean, from two hundred to two thousand. I mean, that that's that's uh, it sounds like it's too good to be true almost. That's uh, that's awesome.
1: You know, it, it, It's true. And if you look at the work of the organization at scale, just, I'm just talking about the professional staff contribution. This is not including the chapter contributions, which I don't have at my fingertips right now, but last year alone, we protected over 1,100 river miles. We reconnected over 420 miles and we restored about 510 miles around the nation. And, you know, I want to double those numbers you know, in a relatively short period of time because, because we have to, because these fish, you know, they are literally the canary in the coal mine. Yep. And uh, as they go, as they go, so do we. And if we can, you know, my hope is that by demonstrating that you can protect cold water fisheries, we'll give people hope that climate change isn't one of these, um, issues like taxes. You know, where you're like taxes. What are you going to do about it? I hate taxes. Well, climate change has that the potential to make people to almost deaden people's nerves and to feel that um, it's so big, it's so existential, it's inevitable. There's nothing I can do about it, and that's simply not true. You can both we can take concrete steps today to make these systems more resilient for trout tomorrow, and we can also engage in advocacy. Uh, to to ensure that we're not just dealing with the effects of a change in climate, we're actually dealing with the causes of climate change. And that's one of the reasons that TU has been in support of various pieces of climate legislation that would limit, uh, uh, or otherwise regulate, the release of carbon, uh, which I know is very controversial. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's not, our mission doesn't allow us to sit on the sideline and pretend that the effects of climate change aren't any of our business.
0: Yeah, and and, and I can com- you know I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, the, the here, here's you know kind of tying um, a little bit of of, of population to uh, policy and what we're talking about. It's like, look, you know, um, a thousand years ago, you could you could do a lot of things without having a a detrimental effect to the environment. And where we are now is that we're at about 8 billion people on the planet and it's going to be 9 billion by 2050. Well, if you're not taking into account things like, well, if greenhouse gases caused from burning fossil fuels are accelerating climate change, to an unnatural pace to and 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 it's affecting everything from our oceans to cold water species like trout to uh, causing droughts wildfires all, all sorts of things well you've got to change your 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 strategy and and, and part of that is um, e- implementing and executing effective policy to address the issue because it's a systemic problem it's not just hey, I'm an individual and I, you know, I, I can do X, Y, Z and hey, I'm a business and and we can do X, Y, Z to address this. Um, it also requires the systemic type change at, at, at a policy level. So I'm, I'm in full support of, of, of regulating carbon and I, I commend you all for supporting that because it's, it, it's just, it's where we are on the life of the planet. It's, you know, it, it's... Yeah. It just is. It just is what it is, um, which is which might be sort of a a good segue to to start talking about some some policy issues, um, and so I'll um, I'll kind of leave that that open ended to you um, if you want to talk climate. But I know another big thing that that we're talking about is is the the clean water rule too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's
1: interesting. Tu is. There's a lot of different organizations out there that do policy work, right? You're probably familiar with many of them. Uh, There's, you know, uh, the Wilderness Society, Sierra Club, NRDC, the list goes on. And there's a lot of groups that do on-the-ground habitat restoration, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, etc. There are are very few, uh, if any, groups that marry on the ground habitat restoration with policy work, and that's basically the space the TU lives in. Um, and what we try to do is leverage the goodwill that we create in literally thousands of communities around the country uh, by doing by, by by literally making fishing better, by making uh, rivers and streams cleaner, we try to leverage that into advocacy for important uh, policy issues. And there is no more important policy issue for anglers. Then the Clean Water Act and the Clean Water Act, of course, was passed in 1972. Huge bipartisan support. You know, this is an era when, uh, you know, rivers were burning. Uh, Rivers were burning. Think about that for a second. That's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. Um, And uh, the river that was most famous for burning was the Cuyahoga River, which now has, you know, something like 75 species in it and uh, and and. Thanks to the Clean Water Act, it's got a great walleye fishery. It's got a great smallmouth fishery. Um, and the government, is—they—they they, what they do is they create rules to implement laws that Congress passes. And uh, the Trump administration just passed some new rules called the clean water rules. And um, these rules, and I'm not kidding here, according to our scientists, these rules would eliminate the protections of the clean water act for about half of all of the stream miles in the united states now just to give you a sense of what that means what they're doing is they're they're proposing re- eliminating the clean water act for what they call ephemeral streams so these are seasonal streams that typically flow in reaction or in response to like rainfall right okay. or runoff and uh, they're absolutely vital. I mean, these are the capillaries of they're the arteries of our, uh, of our rivers and streams. And historically, for the first 30 years of the Clean Water Act, if, say, for example, a farmer wanted to uh, you know, put a lagoon pond in, a, in an ephemeral stream, he would have to get a permit under the Clean Water Act to do so. It's kind of a look before you leap concept. Because, you know, they would want to make sure that we've taken precautions, for example, to make sure that lagoon pond doesn't end up, which is, you know, animal waste, doesn't end up, you know, running into a perennial stream uh, that we all fish in, that we swim in, that our drinking water comes from. And now, under these new rules, that farmer could build that lagoon pond in that ephemeral stream. And if it blew out and ran into a perennial stream downstream, That wouldn't be his fault. He would not have had to get a permit under the Clean Water Act any longer to make sure uh, that downstream water resources aren't affected. And the same goes for pipeline crossings. Same goes for uh, storing gas tanks. The same goes for road crossings. All of those activities, which have potential downstream effects, no longer need to have a, a permit under the Clean Water Act. And, and we think this is a really big mistake. Um, and you know, we're, that's one of the issues that we're working on right now is how we're going to respond to these rules and everything's on the table, whether, whether we decide to litigate or we try to go back to Congress to pass a law to strengthen the clean water rules or the clean water act itself to make clear that the small streams that feed into big streams are also protected. Uh, it's an issue that anglers really need to care about it's 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 a really big deal
0: yeah and 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 it I don't know if you know the answer to this I guess no one does but it it seems common sense tells you <laughs> without even looking at the science but we'll we'll get to the science but common sense tells you that water is our most valuable resource, and to do anything that would potentially uh, make it more difficult not only for for fish species for example to survive but for our own consumption is def- it defies logic honestly um, but then you add into the fact that you have scientists who this is it, it's science science is it is truth and and the scientists are telling you that this is a bad idea where is the, is the
1: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, there's a, you can't. Facts are facts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, facts are facts. And a fact is that gravity works cheap and it never takes a day off. And eventually everything that we do, you know, in the headwaters of these rivers and streams is going to be affected. It's going to show up downstream. And, uh, the fact that we wouldn't recognize that, uh, is, is just, it's, it's frankly frightening. Um, and I think, you know, every anglers all over the country ought to be outraged by this. And, you know, thankfully we're seeing that we're seeing that support, but we've got to make our voices heard. I mean, the, you know, the, some of these policymakers are, are pretty cynical people and their hope is that, you know, Hunters and anglers, yeah, they don't want to get involved in policy. They're not going to bother to, uh, they're not going to bother to, you know, realize that half of the nation's wetlands will no longer be protected by the Clean Water Act. That, you know, in, in, in places like Arizona, 83% of their streams would lose protection under the Clean Water Act. You know, they're, they're, they're going to, They're not going to they're hoping that in places like West Virginia and Virginia, that people won't realize that, you know, more than 80 small streams would be affected by one pipeline, the Atlantic Coast pipeline that's under proposal right now. And they're hoping that these that, that hunters and anglers won't make their voice heard. And our job, I mean, our collective job as anglers is to make sure that doesn't happen, that, you know, we are. Uh, these people work for us. We elect them. We put them into office. And it's it's imperative. It's incumbent on us to make our voices heard, to let them know it's not acceptable to uh, eviscerate the Clean Water Act. That's too important for the $887 billion outdoor recreation economy that we depend on in this country.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean it, it's 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 mind blowing to me that that this stuff is even that rolling back rolling back the clean water rules of the Clean Water Act is even is even on the table, but but it is which is crazy. So then think about well how is it that a few hundred of our elected officials are making these decisions and there's hundreds of millions of us who oppose it. How I, it's, it's totally insane to me, but it's also, it, it, okay, well, let's talk about it. The, the, okay, well, they want to put in pipelines, right? Cause they want more fossil fuels. Well, that's also contributing to climate change. And I'm not saying we have, well, we have the solutions, but we need the policy So this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? You have to have the policy to make changes, to make headway on climate change. If you start making headway on climate change, then you don't need uh, pipelines to transport oil and gas. And then you have, you're just putting yourself in a better position to protect streams to begin with. So it's kind of, it's all interconnected.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's, that's a really good point. I mean, it, it 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 speaks to another issue on the policy front that I'd be remiss not to mention. Um, all forms of energy development have impacts. We know that, right? We all know that. And uh, But it seems like renewable energy, it, you know, it, it, for the health of the planet, is going to play a more prominent role in the future than it has in the past. And we've been advocating with other groups for something called the Public Lands Renewable Energy Development Act, and the idea behind that act is to uh, treat renewable energy, which is really not, it's kind of an afterthought on our public lands right now that are managed by the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management. Our hope is to um, accelerate the expansion of renewable energy on public lands in places where it belongs, not in places that are sensitive to fish and wildlife, but in places where Already done environmental analysis and, and, and identified logical landscapes to put wind and solar. And uh, importantly, it would it would take renewable energy, and which is treated like a what's called a uh, it's treated right now under a special use permit. So it's the same permit you'd go to the Forest Service to get if you wanted to cut a Christmas tree down in December. That's the same permit they use presently to do siting of renewable energy development, we want to treat renewables just like a leasable mineral. And, and that what I mean by that is like coal or oil or gas. And so when it's produced, you'd, there would be a revenue stream that's generated. And, and we want to plow a significant percent of that revenue back into habitat restoration for fish and wildlife. And our hope is that we can both accelerate the expansion of renewable energy development, which is better for the planet, um, and at the same time, create a fund to allow us to deal with the aftermath of, of that kind of development and other development. So we don't get into a situation like we have right now on many of our public lands where, you know, back in the 1800s, Congress used uh, the notion of expanding the West by getting giving people free land uh, to develop minerals. Um, uh, and, and, and they created this you know, we, we inadvertently created a, a, a tremendous number of abandoned mines that sit on the landscape today, like ticking time bombs. We're, we're trying to avoid that problem with this Public Lands Renewable Energy Development Act.
0: This episode of The Sustainable Angler is also brought to you by Emerger Strategies, a sustainable business consultancy whose mission is to solve the climate crisis by improving the social, environmental, and economic bottom lines of your business. Measure what matters with Emerger Strategies. To learn more about how Emerger Strategies can help your business go carbon neutral or zero waste, visit EmergerStrategies.com. So the Land and Water Conservation Fund is basically a conservation fund that really, if if I understand it correctly, is is, is basically a tax that oil and, and gas companies are paying to to give back to uh, a conservation fund to yep to to basically it, it's a tax on that. This yeah. sounds like the 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 land and water conservation fund of the twenty first century. The the way it should That's be right. is saying, hey, look, we've got public lands um, we should be developing renewable energy that helps fight climate change and then using that revenue to then further enhance restoration and, and, and protect our, our waterways, which is it's exactly right. It's, it, it's, that's awesome. I love that. I mean, what's not like about that? That, that? That's incredible. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, that's one of our, you know, a major policy initiative that TU's working on We, I'm kind of proud of that initiative. We, uh, we've been working on it for about ten years. As you, as you can imagine, it takes a long time nowadays to pass legislation, um, and that's okay because we shouldn't be passing legislation willy-nilly. We should be conservative in the in the laws that we're passing. But this is a this one makes a ton of sense, and that's why it's it's a uh, it's totally bipartisan. Uh, we've got you know support from Republicans, from Democrats, from incredibly liberal people to incredibly conservative people, and I'm I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get that done. Uh, here in the near
0: future. That's awesome. Um, well, I, I, I support it. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so Good. glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, so we've kind of we we've covered a little bit of a ground talking about uh, population and policy, and 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 I think we've clearly demonstrated how how that's interconnected, and we've we've touched the surface on. Well, I wouldn't say maybe maybe we've done more than touch the surface on climate change, but but let's let, let's let's sort of dive in a little bit more on on the pollution side if there's anything that we haven't covered already um, as it relates to. And, and what's funny about this is you realize just how interconnected all of this is, right? You know, because you're going well, all right. Well, if we're talking about pollution, and it's not just you know you can say things like plastic, but we're also talking about what what you're talking about if there's a farmer. Who builds a retention pond and it's filled with pig waste for example, and that ex- that you know through heavy rains or whatever leaks into the stream that 's another form of pollution um, yep. and 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 so there's there's pollution is broad but um, is there anything that that we haven't covered that maybe you care to elaborate on 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 how Pollution is impacting our fisheries, and and what Trout Unlimited is, um, aside from everything that you're already doing, um, that we talked about, uh, what 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 maybe trout how Trout Unlimited is addressing some of those pollution issues, like whether it be climate change, clean water. I'll just let you go from there. But
1: yeah, you know, I mean, it's you know, again, like I said earlier, trout or canaries in the coal mine. Everything we do on the land is ultimately reflected in the health of our rivers. So. Yeah whether it's making a priority of cleaning up uh, abandoned mines in the West that are legacy mines that have been out there for a hundred years, or um, working with uh, communities in Appalachia to clean up uh, the effects of abandoned mines and abandoned mine drainage from coal coal mines, uh, or uh, working collaboratively with farmers to implement best practices and, and, and protect and recover private streams and agricultural areas uh, through the farm bill we do it all i mean literally there there is there is almost no form of pollution that affects water quality that affects trout and salmon that TU isn't working around the country to try to repair um so you know i can i can i can go on at length about any form of pollution and how TU is trying to uh r- repair it but as an angler what I would say is rest assured that you know we're out there trying to make fishing better I mean that's basically what we do as an organization uh, and and our reason for that is is simple if 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 we you know we're losing anglers right fly fishing's doing well but uh, other forms of fishing are shrinking and hunting is in decline across the country and in the span of a single generation we've gone from sixty percent of us growing up in Rural environments to more than 80% of us living in in cities and suburbs. And if we're not training that next generation of conservation stewards to care about habitat restoration, to care about habitat protection, to care about getting out on the water and fishing, uh, they're not they, they're not going to care. They won't be there. And when future policymakers Try to further restrict the Clean Water Act or try to uh, propose boneheaded proposals like building a mine in Bristol Bay, you know, the, the world's most prolific and important salmon fishery. And those activities will happen if if we're not there to, to fight against bad ideas and to protect good ideas. Uh, bad things are going to happen for fisheries. And that's, I mean, that's basically my pitch for why. Anybody who loves to fish uh, should join Trout Unlimited.
0: Absolutely, and and actually, th- this is probably um, a perfect segue because I I know that I mean y'all have tons of local chapters. You've got obviously what y'all do at the national level. Um, this is probably a a, a perfect um. Opportunity to to talk about some of those. What what are some success stories that that come to mind um, that Trout Unlimited um, has has produced recently? Because I mean, I, everything that you're saying is exactly right. Like if we don't have an generation out there getting outdoors, which it's basically everything that I've read, it's it's kind of all in decline. People aren't getting outdoors as much. They're not fishing or or, or hunting as much. Um, fly fishing kind of being an, an exception to that. I think a lot of uh, the the younger generation or millennials, and um, they're they're getting into fly fishing, which is awesome. The more the more fly anglers we have, or the more anglers we have in general, um, uh, the, the more conservationists we have, and the more conservationists we have, then you are happy to support organizations like Trout Unlimited, who are. Fighting for you at a policy level, and I think that's something that that everyone listening to this should should understand. Is you know when you're going to to renew your Trout Unlimited membership, that that's what you're 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 a part of that. Um, you're you're a part of that solution. So, um, what what are some of those other success stories that that you can share that, that Trout Unlimited is uh, is has has accomplished?
1: I mean, I could go on and on, Uh, you know, on the, you know, I'll I'll just give you a couple of highlights. Um, There are, there were programs that uh, were, the the, uh, president every year is required to submit a budget to Congress and he had proposed cutting uh, federal funding for the Chesapeake, the Great Lakes, the Delaware, and the Pacific Coast uh, salmon states. Uh, Thanks to the engagement of TU and our staff and especially our volunteers, we beat each of those proposals back, and so one quick uh, vignette: uh, the, the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative was historically funded at three hundred million dollars a year, and and that's the kind of work that allows us to reconnect Great Lake tributaries back to the lakes, so we can get these fish populations that are able to, you know, demonstrate their full life history, like we talked about earlier. And uh, the president's budget proposed zeroing that out. And we engaged uh, members from all over the Great Lakes states. They came back and visited with their members of Congress. And I'm happy to report that the program not only didn't get zeroed out, but it's it's been proposed at funding now for $320 million. So we actually increased the funding. And then, you know, more on the ground stuff, we, in places like the East Fork of the Wind River in Wyoming, we removed uh, two different dams last year opening up you know, about 20 miles of habitat. Uh, we're in the verge right now of taking out a dam in uh, Montana, up right outside of Missoula called the Rattlesnake Dam. And when we do that, that's going to reconnect, you know, an urban river up to the rattlesnake wilderness in the headwaters so that fish can, you know, swim through these uh, connected systems. Uh, we were successful in, uh, in in Washington State in the upper Metau Valley, which is really important for, salmon and steelhead. Uh, we helped to convince Congress to withdraw about 350,000 acres, uh, of that area from, uh, what would have been a proposed mm-hmm. copper mine. I mean, the list goes on and on. We succeeded in getting one of the first federally protected, uh, wild steelhead management areas, hundred thousand acres on a place called on the uh, North Umpqua, uh, named in honor of, uh, Frank and Jeannie Moore. Frank Moore is a a wonderful man, an incredible legend out in that neck of the woods, World War II veteran uh, who has spent a lifetime trying to protect that river system, and now it's protected. But the the list goes on and on. We work with over 400 uh, farmers and and landowners in uh, West Virginia uh, to help uh, recover over 100 miles of the East Fork of the Greenbrier. Um, I mentioned the Driftless area. Uh, We've got scientists around the country who are working to help the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, look at the Endangered Species Act as more than just keeping species from becoming extinct, but instead to pivot and look at it as a way to actually recover fish, as opposed to just keeping them from becoming extinct. You know, we've got uh, chapters all around the country who are, you know, working with kids over, you know, I think it was something like 1700 we had 1700 discrete programs focused on kids we had over 700 events last year uh that were focused on helping veterans to uh, you know find solace and healing uh through the power of, of of fly fishing and and the healing power of being on a river i mean the list goes <laughs> i can't i, I people on, and on about the accomplishments of the organization i mean but they are many <laughs> yeah and, no. and that's one of the things it's, it's one of the things i don't think people understand i don't think people have any idea how much work we do i really don't i think most people they think about child unlimited they're like oh yeah they're you know they're a bunch of old white guys right you know they get together once a month and you know sh- show slideshows <laughs> right right. Um, but, yeah, but what, what they don't know is that we're the leading organization fighting to protect the clean water. water. They don't know that we're the leading organization <laughs> fighting to stop the pebble mine. They don't know that we're the leading organization that will eventually remove the four lower Snake River dams so that we can have healthy, robust and catchable populations of fish. Um, in Idaho
0: again. That, that's unbelievable. I mean, just to that—that that was just you rattling off, and that's probably just scratching the surface. And that's also a, a, not even for—I uh, would imagine—all of the the smaller restoration type projects that some local chapters are working on that aren't you know that aren't as as, as big of a headline as as Pebble Mine or or, or the Clean Water Act. Um, no, that's
1: that's exactly exactly right.
0: And 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 one of the reasons I know that actually is is one of um, my clients, Rep Your Water, who I know is a big supporter of of Trout Unlimited and and local sponsors. They they do a lot with their local chapter, and they were the ones who kind of educated me on that. And they were like, "Oh yeah, no, we we do. We have a, a stream near our office that we work with our local chapter on and do cleanups and." Um, all sorts of great activities that get the community involved that are, to your point, talking about, well, how do we get this next generation to care? Well, you know, bring them to a cleanup, you know, a Trout unlimited cleanup or or bring them, find a local chapter and bring your, you know, bring your neighbor, bring your kids, whatever. Um, Take them out there, let them get their hands dirty and understand that it's not just about, you 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 can have fun doing this. It's not just about like, hey, this is really serious. We need to clean all this up. It's also hey, you know, this is just part of instilling values that will last them the rest of their life. Of of hey, I, this is something that's bigger than me, and I want to make sure that I do my part to protect it.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, I think about the work of some of these chapters. I mean, the Chattahoochee uh, chapter, Upper Chattahoochee River chapter in Georgia. They 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 founded this thing called hashtag Clean My Water. And, and they have created this viral campaign for people to go out and fill their net or fill a trash bag or fill their drift boat with trash and then take pictures of it and post it on social media. And it, it, it's become like a competition where people are out there trying to find the most trash. Now, is, yeah, OK, is that going to is that going to uh, protect trout and salmon from the effects of a changing climate or from the evisceration of the Clean Water Act? Of course not. But is it going to create? goodwill in a local community and is it going to build a future you know is it going to build an army of conservation stewards you bet it will and will those people who are out there filling trash bags or 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 nets with trash and then posting that on social media be then willing to uh, be more likely to take action when we ask them to help protect a place like Bristol Bay yeah you're darn right it will. And so that's what our chapters do is they're building advocates. They're creating an army of conservation stewards that will help to protect these lands and waters that, you know, that means so much to us as, as anglers.
0: No, I, I, I love it. Um, well, uh, Chris, where, where, if just in case no, no one d- doesn't know where to go to become a member, um, I know there's a couple of ways to support. I know that you, I, I I believe can be a a business member. You can be an individual member. Where where can people get more information and get involved with, with Trout Unlimited?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. So, so the easy way is to go to www.tu.org. That's our website, but you're right. We have all kinds of ways to get involved. If you want to become a basic member, just go to the website. We make it really easy to do. If you're a business out there, and you're not already, become one of our TUBs, TU business members. It's We've got about 500 of them all around the country right now, and they are the tip of the spear for us in terms of going out and engaging anglers in conservation and, and engaging people as advocates, engaging people to become members of TU. Of TU. Um, if you've got more capacity and you want to support TU at a bigger level, you can uh, join something that we call our Griffith Circle, which is named after George Griffith, one of the founders of, of TU. So there's, there's all kinds of ways to uh, help support the organization. One of the biggest things that we're emphasizing these days uh, is, is actually something they call planned giving. And uh, it's one thing to write a check today uh, and, and help the organization immediately. But I have a friend who has said that planned giving, uh, which means literally including Trout Unlimited in your estate plan, uh, it's the least painful gift You'll ever give because you never actually write the check. (laughs) It it happens upon your demise. But anyway, there are, you know, we make it real, as you can imagine, we make it really easy uh, to give. And so the easiest way to do that is just to go to tu.org, become a member, look on the website for where your local chapter is, get involved locally, get involved nationally, help us with some of these big national campaigns. Um, You know, we can only do more and more the more we uh, build this army of conservation stewards
0: yeah I, absolutely and I, and I think that is probably um, a, a great message to to wrap with, Chris is hey, if you want to get involved and be part of um, I don't don't know if y'all would term it this, but I'll, but I'll term it this, the, 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 the trout unlimited conservation army. Okay. It's official now. It's the trout unlimited conservation army. Um, (laughs) um, If you want to be part of that, uh, which I would encourage you to do. um, I'm I'm a supporter and um, especially now with a, with a young daughter um, who's 16 months old and is going to be inheriting this land and water from us. Um, it's, it's increasingly important to support these organizations that are, that are doing the work. So, um, I I personally would like to, to thank you and and thank Trout Unlimited for, for all that y'all are doing to protect what, what we all love. And, um, like I said, I would encourage anyone to, um, who's looking to make an impact or figure out a way to, to get involved in their local community, um, to head over to www.tu.org and um, get get uh, get involved. So um, I, I really appreciate your, your time, Chris, and, and thank you for, for doing the interview. It's been, it's been
1: my pleasure, Rick. I appreciate the chance to visit with you today.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. Also, special thanks to Chris Wood from Trout Unlimited. Um, If you'd like to check out our show notes, visit our blog at EmergerStrategies.com. Also, uh, if you could, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. That really helps us out a lot. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.